you want your product managers out talking to customers and working with salespeople and talking to pre-sales and, and working with marketing and working with development and talking to exact and they got to get out of the building, not stay in the building. Right. Yeah. And you can be a proxy for the customer if you're an internal IT organization and you're building for the accounting department, a bespoke internal application, and you want to have what we used to call in the old days a business analyst. And it's almost how they define the product owner in kind of a more modern uh, cadence. I, I think the second thing is, and this is the part I lament the most, is that in many organizations, particularly software Independent software vendors, product managers have become feature prioritization people. That's all they do is they look at the Jira backlog, they groom the Jira backlog, they pick features, and then they, they give those as user stories and to, to development. To, and it's like, that's not the job. Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sophion Chief Evangelist. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Happy, hope you're having a great week. Thanks for joining us again. My guest today is somebody you've heard from before, Greg Kotikia, CEO of Sophion. Before Sophion had so much experience in products and product management and uh, wrote a course on it. And he's joined us again. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the essential skills for product managers. Greg, welcome back to the show. It is great to be here, Paul. Thanks for having me back. I look forward to delving into a subject that is near and dear to my heart. I thought you would be. How are you, Greg? I'm good. I'm good. Good. We're talking early in the year. I don't want to give a time date stamp. Someone may be listening to this sometime <laughs> in the future. I'll let them guess what year it really is. <laughs> but it is, it's cold in January and that's all I'm giving away. <laughs> that's good enough. That's good enough. Yeah. It is interesting. You were my first guest oh. and we talked about the subject was the impact of software eating the world on product innovation. And Greg, that was three years ago, just about, give or take a month or so. It was March of 2021. And here we are three years later. Think about the journey since then. Think about how much has changed in, in product companies and, and whether they be digital companies or, or physical product companies. I think that prediction was a lot of the things you said in that episode have, have really come to uh, come to truth. So. Yeah, I, I, I can't think of, uh, and I actually was looking into this just, uh, let's see, what is it? Oh, it's uh, early here in January. I don't know. It was either right after the holidays or the beginning of the year. And I was looking at, uh, were there any pure physical product companies left? And what, what businesses or industries are they in? And it was interesting. I, I had a devil of a time finding anybody who was not, let's put it, let's call it this way digitally impacted because it may not be at the actual product level where there is software embedded in the product, but whether it's through transportation, supply chain, logistics, whether it's e-commerce motions, whatever, the product is intertwined with those actions and activities. And so part of the new product development or innovation process touches whether directly or tangentially, every company out there. 
And so it is just, it's pretty stunning, really, when you think about how rapidly uh, that's happened. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. The other thing that got me, Greg, is I've been looking at digital transformation and I thought digital transformation happened years ago. And yet there are major companies, banks, insurance companies that I would have thought, boy, they did digital transformation years ago and they're doing it. Maybe they're doing it again, right? But it is a major initiative for them. And when you think about how much has changed, right? If you were a, a bank and had a digital platform, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, it's irrelevant. I mean, no, it's well, yeah. exactly. Yeah. 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 You look at your own personal life and how you conducted business, even if it was on similar platforms, you think about how the technology in your hand has changed. Look up to the phone that you were using 10 years ago and you think, oh, yeah, it's pretty much it was whatever. It has just so radically changed the things that you can and can't do that you take for granted. We, we forget that just how fast things are, are moving and how fast they've been impacted. But you're right. I mean, things that were considered table stake systems just 10 years ago. Transformation. Yeah, you would have to do that again, right? It requires our, another rethought. So, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that there would be a, a second phase of your digital transformation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really something. Well, when you think about all that, you use that as a backdrop, and you think about the, the product manager. And we've talked over you know, with various guests over the years about what is a product manager and what do they do and what makes a great product manager. But even that role right in three years has changed so much. Uh, a lot of companies said, oh, we need that role. We don't have that role. A lot of people have aspired to get into that role. There's been a lot of people with success, a lot of people struggling. What's your thoughts on the kind of the evolution over the last few years of the product manager, Oof. Oof. whoever that is? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, someday I'll get to know what a product manager actually does, Paul. <laughs> some ways yeah. there's goodness that there's chaos in the definition, and some ways there's negatives about that. But I, I think the essential problem that people are trying to solve with what is a product manager is particularly borne out when you have companies with more than one product. And when you start getting into the portfolio and different life cycles of various products and different resources that have to be applied, it, it becomes then almost essential for organizations to delegate the business health of a product. And so let me repeat that, to delegate the business health of a product, because when you go start getting to three, four, five, six products, now... There is a separation between what is the corporation and what it requires and the products individually and what they require. And yes, they should be aligned and all the things, but the, the individual corporate executives in their various functions are not in charge of the individual products and their product decisions anymore. So you need to delegate that responsibility to someone who truly yeah. is the business owner or the health of that product. So. What's unfortunate in the technology business, which probably was the second industry or vertical to uptake product managers, the first being consumer packaged goods and fast-moving consumer goods, because they really invented brand managers, category managers, product managers, going back to the 1930s with Procter & Gamble and uh, all those things. But the uptake in them was really Hewlett-Packard in the, in, the, in the 70s and 80s, and then it kind of blossomed in the marketplace. But what fundamentally changed 
in the role of product managers was like so many things, whether we love it or hate it, the Agile Manifesto. And, and, and the Agile Manifesto really defined this idea of a product owner. And, and I think it did a disservice to, to the professional product management personally. And it's a shame, but it did. Yeah, interesting. You hear the say that you say that. I, I I can see why you say that. But let's, I mean, let's talk a little bit about that because I think a lot of companies got distracted and they tried to almost roboticize. Is that a good word? They 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 would they said, okay, we can just take a process and chung 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 and just jump the process and it will just work. And that wasn't the case. You still needed somebody because there's so much to it. You just can't process make a process for the whole thing, right? Couple of things I I I still kind of roll royal royal I don't know what that word is get upset about how's that uh, <laughs> in terms of the product manager product owner functionality although I think we we're starting to grow a separation there but there's still a, a, a heritage that I'll talk about in a second but is that the the product owner is going to be in the stand up meetings every day with product developments as a proxy for the customer. And that's just not reality. I mean, you want your product managers out talking to customers and working with salespeople and talking to pre-sales and, and working with marketing and working with development and talking to exact, and they got to get out of the building, not stay in the building, right? Yeah. And you can be a proxy for the customer if you're an internal IT organization and you're building for the accounting department, a bespoke internal application, and you want to have what we used to call in the old days a business analyst. And it's almost how they define the product owner in kind of a more modern uh, cadence. I, I think the second thing is, and this is the part I lamented the most, even more than that, which I, I kind of don't like that first one. But the second part of that, Paul, I think, is that in many organizations, particularly software, independent software vendors, product managers have become feature prioritization people. That's all they do is they look at the Jira backlog, they groom the Jira backlog, they pick features, and then they they give those as user stories and to to development. To, and it's like that's not the job. That's that, I mean, it is a job. I, I agree with you, but who the hell wants that job? And I think when you see these layoffs that have happened recently, where I think Airbnb got rid of a bunch of product managers, and now it's the it's kind of there's there's been a, a mini backlash in the trough of dissolution of product managers. But you see, <laughs> okay, oh my god, fair. they laid off all these product managers. Whoa, how can they do that? It it I don't look at it as like they laid off product. I I think they laid off like feature pickers. And you know what? I'd lay off feature pickers too. I can get anyone to do that job. I can get my developers to do that. My salespeople to do that. We can pick features all day. Yeah. And I think we had a recent guest, Partho Ghosh, spoke about the feature factory syndrome, which I know, I know you listened to that one. Yeah. You, you told me that we talked about that afterwards, but okay. So, yeah. so it's true, right? And these, these product managers need to, they need to gain the confidence and trust of their executive team to, to let them do that. They got to wrestle control of the product away from, CEOs and maybe even chief product officers, right? They got to, or worse, divisional executives who are responsible for a business in a certain division of the company. They got to get that control, get that authority, get that up. And they have to demonstrate their skills and they have to earn it. And it's, it's not easy, is it? No, but I think you just said it right at the end there. They have to earn it. And I have never been a product manager or seen a great product manager 
where the, dynam- the dynamics you just went over, CEO, who was the founder, who was the original person who owned the product, who had the vision, and now all of a sudden, maybe there is three or four products, and that's still their baby, right? Their name is still associated, or it built the company. When all of a sudden, you're going to give that person and say, oh, you're the product manager for that. No, you're not. No, that's you're still earn the trust and the right to manage that product. Now, you may be given the title and being told that, but that's just not reality. Now, as you make progress and you continue, if you do, you don't have to be perfect, but as you demonstrate that you're a good shepherd of that, that product, then you'll get more responsibility, right? Just like anything else. And I, I think that really is the truth for any great product manager. They have to build the trust bank account. They have to make deposits in the trust bank account. They have to build the, the, the first person they have to build trust with is the developer engineer. That's where it starts. That's where it really all starts. That, that the developer engineer has to feel like that person truly has got their work and their team uh, in their best interest. And I think then they have to turn their hat just 180 degrees around and they have to figure out how to help the, the sales team and, and figure out yeah. how the sales team, how they can help them get commissions, how they can help make sales, how they can take away objections, why their product should be sold, why it should get out of the bag, how they're going to make money with it. So they go from one side where we're building trust and, and value and ego and results to how I can make customers and commissions and people satisfied. And then the third person, you got to, and then you got to make management happy, which is, are you a good steward? Are you, you got, are you growing revenue? Are you doing it profitably? Are you making good decisions strategically? Now there's a lot of other people in the classic product manager group of stakeholders that they have to please. But for me, it's those three that you have to start with. And if you don't have those three as table stakes, engineering development, go-to-market sales, executive team CEO, if you don't have those three, you've got nothing. Because you, you, can't, you can't get anywhere without those three. And by the way, you, they're not going to give you anything. you got to earn it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that is excellent, pointing out those three. I just... I'm thinking of the traditional conflicts between sales and engineering or sales and developers, right? <laughs> the, the sales is saying, look, I, I need this. I can sell this if you just give it to me. <laughs> I had an engineer once tell me, this would be a great company to work for if we didn't have any customers. <laughs> so, you know, it's, just <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it's true, yeah. but, it, but it's short-lived, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the, the real moment of truth, if you've actually done your job as a product manager and you are successful, is to your point, Paul, when that salesperson needs a piece of functionality and you've got to say no to it, and they respect you enough that they, un- that they understand the no, that the development engineers respect you for saying no to that salesperson and yet you can, by the way, one person we didn't mention, the customer, and yet you still can figure out how to keep the customer happy too, or win that deal or whatever it is. That's really when, that's the moment of truth where you've arrived. And if you truly are a good product manager, it's, it's situations like that, that really test your mettle. Now there's some other ones, right? But those, those conflicts are natural and inevitable. And if you, as a leader, have not built the respect and trust to shepherd the product correctly, when those conflicts happen, they'll blame you as opposed to the business judgment you're making. 
Yeah, yeah. And if we if we think about the executive role, and, and I, I typically don't talk much about Sofian in this podcast, but Greg, but you've done a great job at 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 changing Sofian to have this approach of not you don't have to say yes to everything. You can say no and not lose the customer and right. But a lot of people have to learn how to do that. And so you have to have that support from the executive team, that leadership. To, to, if you're a product manager, you really want leadership that's going to help you with that journey because it's pretty tough to do alone, right? It is. I've never seen a company successfully implement product management without air cover. If you do not have executive air cover and support, it'll never happen. And and so if 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 the executive team or someone on the executive team is not allowing product management to say no or if they are by nature, just build it and we'll worry about it later or whatever, it, it, you, you, you'll never get there. And, and, and some companies survive through that process. Not all of them. It, it, it creates a different set of problems. But, yeah, I mean, I, I can't say there's not a time I've been successful in product management where I haven't had executive air cover where I have an executive sponsorship. One of the most, one of the, the people in my life that uh, I'm most grateful to is a guy named Brett Jackson, who I worked for at, at Accent, which was an early cybersecurity company. And he had grown up in Hewlett Packard. And so he had seen and had been a product manager for part of his life, although he was primarily a sales and sales management guy. But he understood the value of product management and what it could do and why it was important to grow. Particularly, we were a 21 product company, I think. And inevitably, when those, it was a very much an engineering driven company when I joined. And he allowed me a seat at the table. He allowed not only me, more importantly, he allowed product management a seat at the table. And if it wasn't for him, he was the president and COO of the company. If it wasn't for him, it would never happen. Would have never, ever, ever happened. Yeah. I'm thinking as you, if I'm a product manager and I'm in a company where let's say that support isn't there, I think in a lot of cases, it might not, it's, it's not malice on an executive. It's the lack of awareness and understanding of what they need to do, of what you as a product manager need the executives to do for you. And there are many cases where you can uh, build a relationship with an executive and ask for that and say, look, this is how, this is what I need. If we're going to be successful, right? These are the things we need to do. In other words, as a company, we need to be united in our strategy. We need to be able to, to say no, but still not lose the customer. Some of those things you were just mentioning, there are some companies where if you brought that to the right executive, you're almost teaching them uh, how product management works in a way. You, you might find that support. I, I've worked for great leaders. Yeah, I do agree with you. I would say nine out of 10 times, it's not out of any malice at all. It's really a lack of understanding. No one is in an executive role, reaches that role because they want to do harm to the business. They want to grow the business and they believe that they're doing what's right for the company. But they don't have a window into, I mean, particularly software. Software seems so easy, right? Can't you just yeah, build right. a new feature? Just It just <laughs> seems like, oh, yeah. you just add that, isn't that? I mean, if it were a physical product, where you had to order parts and get a vendor and, and tie up cash. And, you know, it would be painfully evident the kind of decisions that you are making. And so a lot of cases, particularly early on in my career, I used to often tell executives, pretend that this is a physical product. 
pretend that you're making a decision along those lines. Would you make the same decision? And 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 in a lot of cases they they wouldn't, and they may argue, well, it isn't the same because I'm not tying up cash or I don't have a supply chain. I don't have. You know, but there are architectural, there are change management, there are support, there are maintenance, there are upgrade, there are all these issues that sometimes they don't think about that are costs that are truly tangible costs that sometimes they don't understand, and they got. And then when you educate them on that, the light bulb can go on. And I go, oh, I didn't realize that, right? Or I, I wasn't, I didn't appreciate that. So I think, I, I do think some of it is is education, right? I, I one of my favorite stories. I hope I didn't tell this on one of your previous podcasts. Is when again at Accent we had decided to kill a product, which a lot of companies don't do, and I encourage people to kill products. <laughs> Uh, particularly if you're not competitive. So we were, we were in two factor authentication. (laughs) Those days you you used to have a token. Remember that? Not like today's uh, duo. It's a physical. Yeah. A little handheld. I forget who made those. A dongle. Yeah. With the number on it. Yeah. Yeah, RSA (laughs) was the big, was the 800 pound gorilla in that marketplace. We were, but we were competing with them. We were actually relatively in the early days, but we, they blew the doors off of us. We decided to get out of that business. And, and we had our largest customer, which was Fidelity out of Boston. Not only were they our largest customer, they had all of our products except that one. The chief information security officer at that company was the head of our user group on our customer advisory board. And as a publicly held company on NASDAQ, Fidelity owned 2% of our stock. <laughs> so to say that they were influential, <laughs> they were influential. <Yeah. laughs> Our top salesperson, uh, she she decides that she wants, after we decide to kill that token product, she decides that she's going to continue to sell it to Fidelity. And the CISO, his name was Louis Carpenito. Louis and I still talk to each other. And I remember traveling up there and telling her, we're not, we made a decision. We're killing this product. We're not selling to them. And I remember she broke down practically in tears because I think it was a large deal. She could have made a lot of commission. So that was a heartbreak to her. And she was not happy with me, let me tell you. And then I had to go in and face the customer and say, Lewis, this is not a good thing for you or your company because we're going to kill this and we don't have the resources and support and we're not going to do this. And he yelled and screamed at me and uh, told me why it was a big mistake and how are they going to buy somebody else? And I said, look, we'll we'll work with you and do it. we had made a decision we thought was right for the company, right for the product, where the resources were going to go, and they were better applied in other areas. And that wasn't easy, but you know, when you, but you got to have the wherewithal when you say. I mean, it would have been much easier to say as a publicly held company, make the make the salesperson happy, big multi million dollar deal, make our customer happy. They want this. They told us they want to get it. Let's sell one more. It won't hurt us. Let's keep it alive for a couple more years. And we need this deal for this quarter and blah, 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 blah. We could have rationalized all that. Yeah. Very easy. We took the harder road. Now it did pay off. I think it did pay off. Yeah, that's great. We had a we had a podcast with Rich Mirnoff, and he spoke a lot about that. Rich, but he spoke I know Rich. A he has the same philosophy. How, you know, yeah, he does. Yeah, but you know, this is an interesting point, Greg, because salespeople have a type of personality we know very competitive, and product managers they may not have that same type of personality. And the thing is, 
you can't be scared of the of the sales organization. You can't be avoiding them. You have to find a way to to interface with them, to work with them. It's it's not easy. And I would just like you've given advice of of get with the executives and you've given advice of get out of the building and get to the customers. I think it's essential that you really take on and own the look, I'm going to find a way to uh, work with this sales organization. I'm not going to let them bully me. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm going to figure out how to gain their trust. I'm going to figure out how to gain their confidence and really try go after it instead of avoid it, right? Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's just like what I, I went through a sales training years ago, either solution selling or consultative selling, one of those selling methodologies where the, 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 the sales coach trainer said to, to opened up by saying, yeah, take a clean sheet of paper to all the salespeople in the room and said, draw a stick figure of the customer, draw a stick figure of yourself. And inevitably, everyone, when they held them up, had the customer much, much larger, like two, three times larger than the salesperson. And he said, until you change that, you are the same size as the customer. You are never going to be successful at sales. You've got to make sure you know what you're selling, what you have of value, and how you're problem solving and helping the customer is as important as the money they're giving you in exchange for that. So it is an equal exchange. And I think that's the same thing with product managers. They've got to make sure that they see themselves as a, as a partner and an equal exchange, but still in service, right? You're in service to sales. You're in service to development. You're in service to the company. You're in service to the executives. So, but, but that doesn't mean you're less than, right? You, you still have an equal role. Yeah. That's a really important, really important part of, I think, the essential success of the modern product manager. And I'm hoping that, going back to the earlier part of our conversation, Paul, I'm hoping that this next generation of product managers, it's not that they don't have to be product knowledgeable or whatever, but I'm hoping that they don't forget that business and strategy and product health and the the financial success of their product is an essential and by the way and leadership part of their job is leadership is all part of their job that that's what makes a great product manager i saw a video by the way just over the holidays of a young satya nadell as a technical marketing manager at microsoft he had hair at the time believe it or not <laughs> But here's this guy as a technical, basically what was the equivalent of a product manager at, at Microsoft. And the guy just exuded leadership, knowledge, confidence, not just about the product, but all aspects of the business around the product. And you, you could just see this guy was, he just, he had it even 25 years ago. Wow, I have to look for that. You have to share that with me. We need to put that I'll in the show notes. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. people would oh, like well, to see it's that. It's a fabulous thing to watch. You kind of go, wow. Yeah, yeah. If you step back and look at it from that lens, right, and, and see that, that's really interesting. And I think we've talked quite a bit here, Greg. Uh, yes, this, there are courses you can take on on strategy, on business leadership, on sales. You should go take some sales yeah, and marketing yeah. course, right? There's a lot of training out there, even for free. There's great courses out there. And as a product manager, not only do you need to study your discipline, but you need to study these other disciplines, don't you? I mean, that's my takeaway. I'm listening to you. I I, I could not agree more. I'll tell you what, if you're in 
product management and you have not taken a sales training course, shame on you. You, I mean, just as much as you should be learning agile and lean methodology and scrum and all this stuff like that, all wonderful things. Uh, God bless you. That's fantastic. You should be proud of yourself. You get a star on your forehead. Go out and go out and learn. Consult the selling Miller Hyman, solution selling, major account sales. Learn what it takes to be a successful salesperson. Learn those methodology classes. Learn about asking questions. Learn about pains and, and problems and solutions and implications. F- know what the whole process for forecasting looks like and why and what those triggers are. Learn that part of your business. It is absolutely essential. And further, as things have become even more digital in sales and marketing, spend a little time in understanding all the uh, awareness, interest, desire, action activities in the uh, uh, digital go-to-marketplace how HubSpot works, how that hands off the Salesforce. If you don't understand all that tracking, you are not going to understand. You're going to only understand the utilization and analytics around how your products use, but you're not going to understand the funnel and the handoff and the transition. Both those things together are so important to understand your customer and their journey because it's not just about your product. It's also about the experience with your product and you can have the best product in the world it doesn't matter you got to understand you got you got to understand the salesperson how are they going to get it out of the bag are they going to present it are they presenting it right are they answering right helping them selling it and you got to understand the digital marketing experience as well both of those make for great product managers yeah i'm glad you said that if you're if you're hearing a term like hubspot and you say oh i don't know what that is i'm going to ignore it don't do that. Go find out what it is. Yeah. That would be yeah. a disaster. <laughs> that would be a disaster. But, you know, again, I, I, that's what worries me about current product managers is that they're all wrapped up in Jira and they're yeah. all wrapped up in Scrum and they're, and they're, and, 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 uh, and, and uh, they're not thinking of the overall product growth and business health. Well, Greg, this has been a, f- a f- fascinating uh, discussion. I'm, I'm sure you and I could talk for hours at this. But if we you're could. kind of reflect, we could. Maybe we will. Maybe we will. <laughs> but if you reflect back on on kind of what we've been talking about, do you think we missed something, or did we kind of cover enough for 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 this round of it? I, I, I just underscore for those who are not practitioners in product management that they also need to get a little educated for the good of their company too. Those that are running development, leading engineering, need to understand that this is, product managers are not just their gophers for, hey, just tell me what the customer wants and I'll build it. That's, that's, that's part of their role, but that's not their role. And, and, and you've got to treat them as partners. And on the sales side, they're not just there to get you the latest piece of collateral and the latest pricing and where's the roadmap. That's just, and we could get a super pre-sales person to do that, right? Or a product specialist. These people are truly uh, experts and, and they want to help you in other ways as well. Most importantly, it goes back to what you and I discussed earlier in this in this discussion, Paul. If you're an executive and you don't know a lot about product management, you should. You should understand it as a profession. You should understand its role. You should understand how it helps you and your business selfishly. And then in turn, what you can do as an executive to help 
may empower that part of your organization so you can grow and be more successful. Because without it, you can't grow. I mean, at, at its core, you need someone to build it and someone to sell it, not much in between. But you will pay an awful price in terms of scale and profitability and overall market success without a good product management function. Wow. And I think we could make a we should make a 30 or 45, however long that lasts, 30 second, 45 second thing. We need to make a commercial on that. Or, yeah, that was really good, Greg. Well said. I, I'm a believer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a believer, Paul. That's right. Well, Greg's a lot of fun. You are, you are writing a lot on LinkedIn. And if people aren't following you, they should. You've been really writing some great stuff. You're been always, you're known in the industry for people that know you as a very gracious person, willing to share just like you have for the last half an hour here. If people want to connect with you, what's the best way? Well, they can't connect with me on LinkedIn. It's Greg Katikia. Look me up, uh, connect with me. Certainly you can catch me uh, in my personal email, which I don't mind giving out is Greg Cott, G-R-E-G-C-O-T-T. I put an extra T on there just to fake some people out and make my name shorter. <laughs> Case I change it in the future, but it's great caught at gmail.com. So you can send me, uh, just don't spam me, please. Put me on some list. Send me a note there and I'm happy to respond. I love responding, but I appreciate the kind of words about uh, LinkedIn. I spent, that's kind of how I wrote my book was LinkedIn postings uh, over a year. And I, I continue to get a great, it's therapy for me, Paul, to, to, to be able to write my LinkedIn posts. <laughs> Uh, I don't know why you find the time to do it, but you do a good job. <laughs> All right, Greg. Well, hey, thanks for stopping by. I'm, thanks I'm for pretty sure we'll, Always we'll, good. We'll, we'll, we'll do it again, right? <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Thank you very much. I appreciate it, Paul. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. There were a lot of nuggets in there, and I hope you'll you'll listen to it a couple times and, and, and do it with a pad of paper when you can. Listen to it while you're driving walking shore but at some point gra grab a pad of paper because they're greg put forth a lot of great insights and uh, you don't want to miss those so so this will be archived you can listen to it and i hope you enjoy it take care everybody have a great week bye for now thanks for joining us this week for innovation talks with paul heller if you enjoyed the show please like and subscribe on spotify stitcher apple or wherever you listen to podcasts for additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com.